It has turned itself into a pretty beautiful day outside. If this is a holiday for you, happy holiday Monday. If it is not, then let's get down to work. It is pit stop for gas day. You realize that? We had really high gas prices over the weekend. This could be the start of the summer, basically, when we see gas prices like this. But what is that lesson that we always get from our good friend Dan McTagg from GasBuddy.com? Don't fill up in the morning. Avoid filling your tank in the morning. And being a holiday weekend, you zoom around all over the place all weekend thinking, okay, I have 96 kilometers until empty. Oh, I have 74 kilometers till empty. And then it goes ding. And then it stops telling you how many kilometers you have left. It basically just says, hey, you, can you put some gas in me? And you make it through all of that. And then you get to Monday morning and you need gas. So what do you do? You pit stop it. Like the old days. Remember when you swung in, put five bucks in the tank just to get it topped up, and then off you went for a while? Yeah, well, you swing in now, and what's the equivalent of five bucks now? Fifteen? You throw in fifteen bucks, and you hope that driving home, that that theory that Dan McTagg has given us day after day after day will be there, that it will be cheaper on the way home, because it was kind of 123 to 130 starting out early today. Lots to do today. I don't know if you've seen that the Ford government has decided to cut some other things involving flood management. This isn't necessarily great. This is not good news. We're seeing cut, 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 cut all over the place. We're going to talk flood management because if you've seen any of the pictures from Quebec, you know how devastating those floods have been. You've heard people talking about losing absolutely everything. And we'll talk with Dave Colvin, who has a lot of experience as an emergency management coordinator. He's worked at Western. He's worked for the City of London. Right now he's with Perth County. And we'll take a look at some of the things that are even evolving in terms of knowing where you can go, where you can't go. If you look at Perth County, right now, if you use... Municipal 511, you ever use that to see if you're driving to Toronto, just whether or not there's construction on the road or whether there's a problem on the road? Municipal 511, it's a a Twitter feed. It's a number of things. It's a website. But if you look on their Twitter feed, it's got a great rundown of where issues are. Well, that's being stretched, and they began it there. This is an award-winning idea that was developed in Perth County, and they've kind of pushed that into – telling us where flooding issues are. So we're going to talk with Dave Colvin at 140, and we'll just look at this area as a whole and the danger. I mean, we, as far as I can remember, have not seen it where our streets are flooded to the point that you've got people boating down them, but we have had flooding. Ask anybody who lives on Jalna Boulevard a few years ago about how bad that got. So what can you do? Is there a concern In this area, for flooding, where do we have to look to? What do we have to do? And some of the changes that are taking place there. That comes up in a half hour. If you think of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's legacy, may get to that point. What is it going to be? Because right now, he's trailing in the polls. He's got a lot of stuff to deal with between now and the next federal election. If you had to look and say, what is his legacy? What are we going to remember him for? I hate it when politicians try and create a legacy for themselves. Ontario Premier Dalton McGuinty decided he was going to be the Green Premier. He was just the Premier that we wanted to get rid of at the end. 
and did, although, you know, it, it kind of morphed into more liberal government after that. But I don't like it when, when they try and create legacies for themselves. But when you get to look back and say, what is that prime minister? What is that premier? What are they going to be known for? What do you think it'll be with Justin Trudeau? You know what the Fraser Institute says? It'll be debt. Because he's putting together so much debt. And in an hour from now, we're going to talk about that. We'll look at fumigating airplanes, things that beep. In a moment, though, something that is really, really sad. There's no other way to say it. It is really, really sad. A member of the Knights family and the London Nationals family was lost over the weekend. Kelly Thompson passed away at the age of just 34 years old. And in a moment, we're going to be joined by London Knights captain Danny Sivret. And we're going to pay tribute to who Kelly Thompson was as a person, as a hockey player, as a coach. So that's coming up in just a couple of minutes. First, though, Marilyn, how are you on this Monday? Um, Now, whom are you talking to? I'm talking to Marilyn, I believe. That's right. Am I right? That's right. Well, that's one right answer on the show. I don't know how many more I'm going to get. (laughs) Well, did you have, I wanted to wish you, first of all, a very happy Easter. I know it's over with now pretty well, but I hope you, Krista, is that your wife's name? Kirsta. Very close. Kirsta. Kelly. Kaylee. Kylie. Kylie and Joe. uh, Jack. And the cats had a wonderful Easter. We had a great Easter, Marilyn. It is always so nice to talk with you. I hope you had a great Easter, too. Well, you know that... Now, do you do the ironing? Because you said in that commercial about when you fold the ironing board up, you make a mark on the well, wall. I, I've made a lot of marks in, in our bedroom. Yeah, no, well, that's absolutely true. Boy. And I, I, do, I do iron my own clothes. I'll it's leave it at that. Oh, wonderful. Mm-hmm. I wish... Oh, you can come here and iron my clothes any day. Marilyn, I'm not sure what to make of that line, but I somehow I'm... No, honey, I mean it in the very cleanest and (laughs) purest way. Now look at dear, as far as Trudeau's concerned, he's going to be known only for one thing. Okay, give us that one thing. His looks. Mm, Interesting, interesting. That's all, because, and, and, uh... Trying to ruin the country. <laughs> Marilyn, thank you for this on this Monday. I hope we talk again this week. All right, honey. You have a great day. Bye-bye. I love you. I love you, dear. Love you too. Bye-bye. It is just after the start of London Live, and we have a lot more to come. Up next, we do have London Knights captain of the 2004-2005 Memorial Cup winning team, Danny Savrett, who will join us. And we'll remember the life of Kelly Thompson, who sadly passed away on the weekend. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. This community got some really sad news this morning, especially if you're any part of the hockey community. Kelly Thompson passed away over the weekend at the age of 34. He was a member of the Knights 2004-2005 Memorial Cup championship team. He had joined the team actually that year as a 19-year-old. And I remember Mark Hunter and Jim McKellar, who was the assistant GM of the Knights at that time, talking about a guy that they'd found in Sault Ste. Marie and felt that he was going to add an ingredient to the team that was needed to win in hockey. And it worked out. 
and he was a big part of that Memorial Cup championship team. And he went on to be the head coach of the London Nationals and led them to a Sutherland Cup championship in 2013. He stepped away from the game of hockey to kind of work on some things that weren't working out right in his life. And by all accounts, he had things going in the right direction. And sadly, he passed away this weekend way too young at the age of 34. And joining us right now is former London Knights captain, the captain of that 2004-2005 Memorial Cup championship team, Danny Savret. Danny, do you remember the first time you met Kelly? Uh, I remember seeing him at camp. I don't think I actually remember the first time I shook hands with him, but uh, I I remember the, the year before we had uh, we were the number one team in, in Canada, and we lost out to Guelph in Game 7 at home to a more mature and I would say probably more physical, uh, maybe more intimidating team. And I, I know that obviously the Hunters saw that we had a good chance of, of doing something great in, in London the following year, so they were looking to add toughness. And I just remember this little spark plug that came out of uh, Junior B, and uh, and was just fighting everyone at camp. We had no. That's how we knew who this guy was because he was just the guy that would that fought everyone. So Mark, I think, had brought in a bunch of guys to be quote unquote our tough guys and heavyweights for uh, us in season. And and in training camp, obviously, they're trying to measure themselves up to each other. And the one who's going to be either the toughest or the most intimidating is going to be the one that essentially probably will be our tough guy on the team. And and then there's this five foot 10 guy who's just fighting every one of them and beating them all up. And we're like, who is this guy? And that's sort of how we got to know uh, Kelly. Obviously he, he, uh, he fought his way onto the team and uh, did an exceptional uh, job of, of being the security blanket for us uh, as, as teammates. And then obviously uh, was a, a great player and an asset for us uh, throughout the year as well. And you think about hockey right now and you think, well, that doesn't happen, but in those days, it did, and you needed to have a guy like that, right? Yeah, that was the. We were sort of just at the the end of the that era of of fighting, I think. Um, and uh, we had a, a few of them, a few guys that could that could stick up for the rest of the teammates and also play the game. And, and Kelly uh, was obviously one of those guys that. Uh, but it was just uh, he sort of came out of nowhere and made the team as a as a nineteen year old. I don't think. Anyone had, uh, he wasn't on the radar for anyone. It was just sort of like, yeah, here's a, a tryout, come out. And he he worked his way on the team. Um, and uh, and obviously we became uh, great friends thereafter. Obviously winning a Memorial Cup uh, helps to that. But um, he was a, a great friend uh, of ours for sure. He was a guy who just, he would, it, was, it was like that. He would do whatever it took. He would do anything for anybody, right? Yeah, he, uh, you know, he, he he made life easier on everyone else because you knew there was a Kelly Thompson on the team. So if someone were to try to take a liberty at uh, a more offensively talented Corey Perry or or Dylan Hunter, they knew that the next shift, it didn't matter who this guy was, Kelly Thompson would be out there tapping and be like, like I think you have to answer the bell now, right? So he 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 let he gave us a lot more room out there. Um, to play because there, it was back when when fighting and intimidation and uh, and the game was a lot dirtier than it than it is now that you see on TV. But um, 
he was the guy that he was the 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 sheriff of of every game he played in. And how hard is it to fill that role? You've known a lot of guys who have had to do that at the professional level, at the junior level. Uh, what do you have to have a, a certain type of type of character to be able to do that? I, I think you have to be the biggest team player. I think you can't be a selfish player and have that mentality because because you're literally sticking up for every player on the team. So in saying that, I think that goes hand-in-hand with the type of character that that Kelly was, was just he would do anything for anyone in all situations, whether it be on the ice, off the ice, family life, whatever it is. Like, Kelly was the guy that was always there for you. Danny Savret, London Knights captain of the 2004-2005 Memorial Cup championship team, joining us as we remember the life of Kelly Thompson, who passed away over the weekend. He then went on to certainly play some more hockey, played for the Oshawa Generals, played some university hockey, but seemed to just settle in as a coach. And that just seemed to fit him so well. When he came back with the London Nationals, all of a sudden, here's a a franchise that had had some success, but he took them to the highest success there was in Junior B hockey. Correct, yeah. And and ironically enough, the Nationals uh, are starting the Southern Cup Finals on Thursday. Uh, and Kelly, I think, was the only coach that has got the Nationals uh, a, a Southern Cup championship. So, um, But yeah, Kelly, was uh, he had a great mind for the game. Um, he was constantly uh, willing to learn. Uh, obviously, having a few of us that had gone on and, and turned professionally and, and playing in different uh in different systems, he were, he was able to pick our brains on how we play, so he could sort of make his own systematic bible on on the on different styles of of play, uh, and then obviously trans, translate that onto his his uh, his kids. And um, and, he, and in saying that, he was obviously a, a great leader, mature, uh, and, and wonderful with the kids. And I, I, I never got a chance to play for him. Obviously, I get to play a chance with him, but I think. The same way as he was in the locker room for us as teammates, I think that would have transitioned very well to him as a as a coach because he just makes everyone around him comfortable, um, and, and and you'll you'll try to in, you'll try to do anything you can for him. Conversely, as he did for you as a player, I think his his guys would run through a wall for him, and I think obviously that that ultimately helped him uh, become such a great a uh, coach leader and and obviously Sutherland Cup champion. There are people who are quiet leaders. There are people who aren't afraid to say things. What was he? Uh, he he was reserved. Like sometimes the, in the dressing room, uh, got, there's there's guys that will always be talking. There's there's guys that will say things sporadically. And he was sort of one of the guys that he just had a really good feel for the for the dressing room. At, you know, at, at times he, his minutes would wouldn't be as as great as, as others, um, but his willingness to, to win and compete was obviously at, at a high level. And um, he wouldn't, he didn't never felt shy or anything to, to speak up in the, in the dressing room, even though he, he knew that maybe that last period, he didn't play as much as he would have liked, but he sees things that we need to do to improve on to, to, for the team's ultimate success. So, um, he was a he was a, a really good uh, character in the, in the in the locker room, and then obviously uh, a really good uh, person away from the the rink. Every 
every summer uh, after we turned professional, Corey Perry and I would uh, would rent an apartment downtown, and Kelly would move in with us. So there was the three of us that, for probably five or six off seasons, we would uh, spend time together uh, throughout the summer, whether it be golfing, uh, watching baseball games, going to a patio or something. Like uh, he was a, a great friend to uh, to us all. And the kind of guy who probably kept the household in check was was he the guy who uh, who made sure the the dishes were done and the the towels were hung up? Yeah, we we were uh, we were still a little young, so we weren't doing very much cooking at home. <laughs> but um, we did have a we did have a lot of fun together. We uh, um, the three of us really liked baseball. We would uh, play video games or or go watch Jay's games, and uh, we seemed to do everything together. The three of us so. Um, yeah, he, uh, he was a, a great, just a great person, uh, and someone that you, you always want to be around. Danny, I'm really sorry to hear about his passing. Thank you so much for talking about Kelly Thompson with us. Thanks very much, Mike. Former London Knights captain, captain of what is now known as the team of the century. And Kelly Thompson was a big part of it. That is Danny Savret remembering Kelly Thompson and what he brought and, if you want to put it into perspective, you need to look at it this way. If you can go back far enough to remember what schoolyards used to be like, what basically life used to be like, you could fall into a couple of categories. You were either the person who was tough enough and the person who could stand tall enough to look after people, or you were the people being looked after, or Maybe you were maybe you were the bully who was being picked on. Maybe that's the way to break it down. Kelly Thompson was that guy who, even though I'm I'm not sure when he was eight years old, but he grew to be five ten. He was never the guy who towered over everybody, but he was always the guy who was willing to look after those around him, willing to look out for his friends. And that's not an easy that's not an easy character trait to find. And he was the guy who did it. Hockey was a very different game when he played, even going back to 2004, 2005, where you needed to have protection for players, where it wasn't as much of a speed game. It was a game where if you could go out and you could not necessarily, you wouldn't seek to harm somebody, although you can go back to the Memorial Cup final and say, yeah, they, they sought to harm a guy like Corey Perry. Well, then the rest of Ramuski had to deal with guys like Kelly Thompson the rest of the game. And, and there was just that, that unwritten code that isn't as much a part of the game anymore. And it's probably for the better of the game. But at that time, you needed people who, just like they did on the schoolyard, were able to stand tall and able to stick up for you against whoever was going to come down the alley the other way. And Kelly Thompson was always the guy standing at the front of the group. And again, he stepped away from the game of hockey to take care of some things in life. And by all accounts, that's exactly what was happening. And that makes this really, really sad. Only 34 years old. And Kelly Thompson has been lost to not just the hockey community, but London's community. But he was the guy who brought a Sutherland Cup championship to the London Nationals. And he was a guy who sure was a big part of that Memorial Cup championship team of the London Knights.
in 2005, and he's a guy who's already being missed. We don't have any details on visitation or a funeral at the moment. The news is still very, very new. As soon as we do have that information, we'll make sure and pass that on to you. And you can also see a tribute to Kelly Thompson on our website very soon at 980cfpl.ca, if not already. Coming up, we are going to talk about emergency management. And when you look at at the Doug Ford government and what they're trying to do, you have to pat them on the back for being able to say, okay, things are completely out of whack. This province has very little money. We need to make cuts. One of the sectors, like any sector really that is controlled by the government, it seems, that's going to be touched is emergency preparedness. And we are seeing flooding right now. And all accounts from all scientists say we're not going to see lighter storms. We're going to see tougher storms. And we are going to see more dangerous storms. And we are going to see more rainfall and damage. And with that rainfall can come flooding. And with those increased storms in the winter can come more precipitation. And that itself can lead to flooding. We've seen a lot of flooding in Quebec. We're seeing some in Ontario. And we'll see more as things continue to melt in some parts of the province. We're pretty lucky here. We didn't get a lot of snow this winter. Some parts of the province sure did. And we'll look at emergency management, and we'll look at something that happened in Perth County that is certainly helping this to become real time for all of us. Dave Colvin, who has had a lot of experience in London at Western and with the City of London, is going to join us. News is next. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Usually it takes us a little while to get to know our government, right? Unless they hand out a pamphlet which nobody reads. Get to know your government. This is who we are. But they may say something and do something completely different. If we're getting to know our Ontario government, what would you say about them? I would say that they're a government that lives in the now. That's who they are. They live in the now. This is not a government that is looking way into the future. This is not a government that decides to have a 15-year plan. You know, by 26, I want to be full-time employed in my career. You know, by 28, I want to be married. By 30, I want to have a family. That's not this government. That's what they're not doing. They are more, well, today, here's what we need to tackle. And I don't mind that because there's a lot to tackle in the province of Ontario. But when we look down the road a little bit, and we wonder what's happening with education. We wonder how things are going to work in healthcare, And we wonder how their changes are going to impact both of those fields. It doesn't just stop there. We have seen cuts come to a lot of spots. Basically, if it's government controlled, it faces cuts. And that's, again, not a bad thing. Because if it is true that there is all kinds of bureaucratic red tape, sure, that needs to be addressed. And that does provide opportunities to save money. And this province needs to save money. But here's an example that could be a concern if we get a perfect storm coming together. And I guess the word storm kind of fits in this. If we don't look down the road while looking at what is in front of us. And it deals with flooding. Right now, flooding can be top of mind. Not necessarily in our area because we didn't get a lot of precipitation. And we're lucky enough not to have huge flood issues in this area. If you live, again, on Jalna, well, you might put your hand in the air and say, yeah, you want to come to my neighborhood sometimes after heavy rain? Yeah, I know. I know. There, there are not 
completely dry spots throughout this city and throughout this area. But overall, when was the last time somebody had to canoe down your street? That's not where we are. In Quebec, in other parts of Ontario, sure, that happens. We've seen it happen in Calgary, Alberta, when the Bow River flooded and the devastation that that can create. Well, the one thing you do have to be aware of is what could be coming. And you never know. We do have a river running through it. It's called the Thames. What if all of a sudden the banks rose really, really high and we did see flooding? I don't know. But what we have is a problem in that the Ontario government has decided to take a look at Conservation Ontario, and that represents 36 conservation authorities. And it is making immediate cuts to that. Cut their funding for flood management in half. There you go. In half. We need to save this money. We feel that this is not required. And all of that, you know, again, could make some sense. Forget about the fact that we will have some flooding likely in Ontario right around the Quebec border in and around Ottawa because of of what is happening there with melting. It wouldn't surprise me if somewhere up north we did see some high water levels and some flooding based on the amount of snow that they received. But overall, okay, yeah, you could probably look and show me. Show me the numbers, justify this, and they could probably do that. The problem becomes the future. And what if we are getting more precipitation? What if we are getting more inclement weather? Then what? Well, in a moment, we're going to talk with Dave Colvin. He is an emergency management coordinator in Perth County, but has had experience in emergency management at Western and for the City of London. And we'll see what he thinks of this situation. And we'll also talk about some positive things, one being Municipal 511 and what that has done and how flooding can actually be incorporated into what they're doing at Municipal 511. He is next on London Live. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. The Ontario deficit is estimated at, what, $11.7 billion? That's what they're trying to eliminate at the government level. So anything they can cut back on, they will. We haven't even seen the start of what's coming in education, not in terms of cuts, but in terms of reaction. And we'll see how things work out with the super agency, even though they won't call it that. And now we get cuts to conservation authority Flood programs. So we are looking at $7.4 million that is given annually by the province to conservation authorities for flood work. That has now been reduced by 50%. And you can read more about that at 980cfpl.ca or at globalnews.ca. But we have with us Dave Colvin, who deals in emergency management. And floods, they fall into the category of emergency management. Dave is currently the emergency management coordinator in Perth County, but has worked in a similar capacity at Western University, has worked in a similar capacity with the City of London, and joins us now. Dave, how are you? Great, thanks, Mike. 
Dave, you have so much experience when it comes to preparing for emergencies, but at the same time, just preparing for things that aren't regular, mundane, daily life. And it's great to be able to tap into that. So thank you for joining us today. Let's look at flooding, because anyone who has seen the pictures of what is happening from Quebec, there was a great shot of somebody who, last time this happened, basically raised his house by a meter, knowing it would happen again. And there it is. It's kind of up on almost stilts. He's ready. He seems to have no issue. But there are a lot of people who are boating around their houses, a lot of people who've lost everything again. When it comes to flooding, is this something that's changing in terms of of how it's created? Yeah, like I think what's happening now is, and whether you agree with climate change or not, uh, our weather is changing. We're getting these heavy rain events. Uh, so where it used to be just along the, the floodplain uh, in the spring, now it's, it's more widespread, uh, and it's repeating itself. So, uh, you know, we all pay for it because the insurance companies are, are paying for these losses and our rates are going up. So I, I think that will be one of the driving forces towards some change. Now, when you look at causes, you mentioned we do have more rainfall, we do have more severe storms. Can something like a really heavy rain actually lead to that much flooding in some areas? Oh, you betcha. You look at what happened down in in Essex County, and even we had a heavy rain event probably 10 or 15 years ago, uh, north and east of London, and it came close to overtopping the dikes in downtown London. So, uh, And that's just a summer heavy rain event. So, you know, uh, at, at least uh, Environment Canada gives us a uh, good warning on, on that and gives us an opportunity to, to protect things. We're talking with Dave Colvin, who has been working as an emergency coordinator at Western University for 20 years, manager of emergency management in the city of London for 10 years, and we're just looking at at flooding. And as much as we think, okay, well, that's way off in Quebec, that's, you know, the Thames every once in a while gets a little high, but eh, let's face it, eh, not a big deal. When you look at this area, are we... Are we still in danger of seeing some kind of flooding at some point? Oh, yes, definitely. Now, I, I must admit, I live in the city of London, work in Perth County at least till till Friday, and uh, they've done a lot of work with the stormwater retention ponds. You see these nice ponds around the, the uh, newer subdivision, so that helps absorb the uh, the peaks in, in some of these high rain events. And we have the Upper Thames River Conservation Authority. They do great work. But, you know, it's a concern to see that our provincial government is cutting uh, 50% of the, the flooding uh, preparedness or flooding response funding to conservation authorities. So we're still waiting for further details on that. But uh, to me, that's a, a decision in the wrong direction with this increased risk. It is neat that you mentioned the subdivisions and the idea that people will drive by and say, why do they have that great big thing that a lot of times has a little bit of water in it? You've just outlined it. That's to keep everybody else dry, right? Yeah, and it also filters the storm water that uh, comes through. Uh, the other thing, of course, uh, if you drive the Windermere Adelaide Street uh, area, uh, it's prone to flooding and and. One thing is you have damage from floods, 
you know, into your basements and all of your mementos and things like that. There's things you can do to protect them. Instead of cardboard boxes, use an airtight, uh, sealable plastic container. But the other thing is you have to remember a flooded road emergency responders can't go through. So Adelaide and Windermere, to me, is a good example where it's a prime route to University Hospital. Uh, and that has an impact not just on that local area, but response times for emergency uh, responders. And if you look, Municipal 511 does a very good job warning about traffic issues, warning about a lot of different things going on. They've got a very active Twitter feed, but something else they've created is, is kind of a, a flood map. What does that actually accomplish? Yeah. Municipal 511 is a system that uh, Perth County won a national award from the Canadian Association of Chiefs of Police for uh, its situational awareness day-to-day. So we do our uh, road closures for construction and that type of thing. But when you get into a winter storm or you get into a, a flooded road event, and we've had a couple of them in Perth County, uh, it tells not only the emergency responders, but also the general public. Uh, our um, system of Municipal 511 actually pushes out to the Waze app and captures information from the Waze map, uh, which pushes out to Google Maps. So, you know, everybody's using these uh, these apps now for navigation. Well, can't we leverage that and, and help uh, with the common operating picture and, and also for emergency responders uh, to get to the station if you're a volunteer firefighter, but also to get to the site of the emergency in, in the fastest way. And being able to use Waze, being able to use Google Maps, I mean, how real-time are you getting with Municipal 511? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, a lot of smaller uh, communities don't have the money for a million-dollar system. So this lets them leverage consumer-grade uh, applications uh, with a, a public safety uh, response portal uh, and, and give real-time information. And you can bring in Google traffic and, and all of that good stuff. And, you know, this is something that uh, is a subscription base uh, available across the province. And I can sit in my living room, look at things, and even if I had to, issue a road closure notification from my smartphone. Dave Colvin with us. Dave is with Perth County, but has some great London experience as an emergency coordinator at Western University, as a manager of emergency management with the City of London. We're talking about flooding. We're talking about uh, Municipal 511. When when that was put together, what was that first meeting like? Well, it actually came as an offshoot to a federal project uh, that didn't get ongoing uh, funding. The, the whole concept was to have a national system. Uh, and uh, one of the champions from the program, uh, when they didn't get a, a, a sponsor to continue the work, he branched out and approached a small company uh, to take the concept and, and make it available. So uh, Perth County jumped on it. I've been a big fan of this type of technology, and uh, we were able to help spearhead this. And now uh, a lot of the counties and municipalities north of uh, Stratford uh, into eastern Ontario. It was trialed in 2017 when the, they had the flooding in eastern Ontario. It was provided at no cost. And right now, if you look at the website, uh, you can actually see the road closures up there and some of the impacts. And behind the scenes, there's also 
hidden layers that we can put up uh, for emergency response purposes. But it's also faxing and emailing these closures out to the media, to the uh, dispatch centers, that type of thing uh, behind the scenes. So it's a day-to-day use that uh, pays really big dividends in in situations like this. Well, like you say, won an award for, a national award from the Canadian Association of Chiefs of Police. So onward and upward with that. Dave, in terms of flooding and, and preparedness, do we need to be doing this any differently? You mentioned the, the uh, I guess, the, the information that we have right now that says we're going to see some funding cuts, or we certainly have what looks to be funding cuts, so we'll have to see what happens there. But do we need to be doing flooding preparedness differently than what we are? Well, I think we have to increase the amount of effort we put into, uh, and the key word is mitigation. So, you know, everybody wants to build right along the river and and into uh, impinge into the floodplain areas. Well, there's a risk to that. And, uh, you know, some of the funding that the conservation authorities have gotten over the years have been to buy properties along the floodplain and turn it into parkland. So when something does flood, uh, it, it's not damaging properties. But I think it, it's getting to the point where, uh, the government and insurance companies are going to say, listen, uh, you know, you're on your own if you have another flood. Um, from a personal homeowner perspective, it's taking measures in your, especially in your basement to, you know, uh, backflow prevention, sump pumps, that type of thing, and also getting valuables up off the floor in, in watertight, uh, watertight containers. And you can do things outside your house as well, like make sure that uh, your eaves trough drain away from your foundation, and you know they're they're cleared out, and uh, storm drains uh, along the street, if it's safe to do so, are are clear so that the water can uh, can drain away the way it should. Dave, we thank you for all of the tips, for all of the information. Again, congratulations on what you've been able to do with Municipal 511. And we also have to take some time to thank you for what you've done in this city for so many years and what you've done in Perth County for so many years. Friday becomes what day for you? That's my official uh, retirement from Perth County, but uh, I'll be hanging around. I'm, I'm pretty passionate about what I do and uh, especially want to help out some of the smaller communities that may not have the uh, resources that they need to, to cope with. I call it the changing face of emergency management. Well, Dave, thanks so much for all that you have done, and it's good to know that we'll still have your expertise in our back pocket. Have a great day. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Dave Colvin, Emergency Management Coordinator in Perth County, at least till Friday, but a guy who has made a big difference in getting us ready for potential issues. And as he says, yeah, you can you can have major flooding in London, and this is one of those things that may be impacted by some of the cuts going on right now. As Dave says, and as scientists say, the rain is not letting up. The rain is definitely intensifying and storms are intensifying and flooding may intensify with that. Dave Colvin with Perth County. We wish him all the best in semi-retirement after Friday. We'll let you know what's still ahead on London Live. Back in a moment, this is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Coming up in Hour 2, if you had to give Prime Minister Justin Trudeau his legacy now, 
What will that be? What would you say Justin Trudeau will be remembered for? We heard from Marilyn right off the bat in the show, and she says his looks kind of ends there. What would you remember him for? Well, the Fraser Institute is out with a report that shows this may be easy to pick if you can't think of something off the top of your head, and you probably can. It's debt. We'll talk about that. We'll also look at why the Toronto Maple Leafs do not need to play a full 60 minutes to win Game 7 tomorrow night. You always hear teams say that, well, we need to play a full 60. No, they really don't have to. I'll tell you why. And fumigating aircraft. It was a story that popped up last week. Is this something that is new? Not new? Mike Seabrook, president and CEO of the London International Airport Authority, will join us all in hour two of London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. The Ontario Hockey League just did something that a lot of people thought they wouldn't do. And they probably need a good old pat on the back for doing it. There are very few rules that lead to suspension in sports that you can say are completely black and white. This is what it is. Do this, you get this. Leagues are always trying to do that. If you do this, you get this. It would be so much easier. But every circumstance is a little bit different. The Ontario Hockey League does have a couple of rules that it can say, no, if you do this, you get this. One of those rules is second fight in the same stoppage. They've had this forever. This isn't a thing that was brought in in the last 10 years to try and curtail fighting. This has been a thing. And the second fight in a same stoppage means if there is a fight, you are not to start a fight with somebody else, or that is an automatic two-game suspension. Now, in the playoffs, that particular suspension becomes a fine. That's just the way the rule works. There is one other rule that is really black and white in junior hockey in the OHL. And that is if you flip a puck into the crowd or flip a stick into the crowd or cause anything to go up over the boards into the crowd where it could harm someone who has come to watch the game, that's a five-game suspension. Now... This has been upheld again and again and again. And there was a big question based on something that happened between the Guelph Storm and the Saginaw Spirit on the weekend as to whether it would be once more. Because there has been one exception to the rule. Owen Tippett went over to a foam puck after a -a chuck-a-puck, and he flipped that into the crowd. And it was caught by a fan. But because he did it with his stick, that was supposed to be a five-game suspension. Because, again, it violated that same rule saying, don't let anything leave the playing surface that you caused to leave the playing surface and go into the crowd. Well, because it was a foam puck, they reduced that to one game. And there was a lot of thought that when Ivan Prozvatov, the goalie of the Saginaw Spirit, caught a puck after allowing a goal, this guy's a fiery competitor. This guy is, is very animated, does cartwheels after 50 save performances, has moonwalked on the ice before. He's somebody that would see a suspension maybe reduced because it's playoffs because he caught a puck and basically threw it up in the air and baseball batted it just with one hand, but whacked it up and into the seats. Credit the Ontario Hockey League. Today, they came down with a suspension, five games, effective immediately, which takes him out of the rest of the series against the Guelph Storm. Very interesting.
That is news that has just come up. We will talk some more hockey in just a little while. We'll tell you why the Toronto Maple Leafs don't need to play a full 60 minutes to win Game 7 tomorrow in Boston. We're also going to talk about fumigating airplanes and whether this is a new thing. This this was a story that kind of took off last week. Wow, they fumigated an airplane. Why? What's going on? Is this something that happens all the time? We'll discover that in just a little bit. But we asked the question before we went away to news. If you were to come up with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's legacy right now, this is what he did for this country. What would it be? What would you choose as his legacy? Marilyn has already sent in saying his looks. That's it. And if that's where we're beginning, I don't know where we're headed. Well, this has been talked about quite a bit because we're heading toward another federal election. Right now, the liberals are trailing in the polls. What are we going to find? We'll see. The Fraser Institute has come out with an interesting report, and it has looked at something that could fill the blank of Prime Minister Justin's Trudeau, Justin Trudeau's legacy is... And we want to talk about that thing right now. Joining us right now from the Fraser Institute is Finn Poshman. Finn, thanks so much for the time. Hey, great to talk to you. Uh, some people uh, say good things about my looks, too, but they're mostly on radio. <laughs> I have that same issue. I have that very same issue. Well, let's talk about Justin Trudeau, because if he is getting marks for his looks and probably always will, a lot of people like to dig down deeper than the old surface, and you've dug pretty deep and come up with something that puts him all alone in a certain category. What category is that? Yes, uh, uh, among, uh, well, well, first, uh, our gross debt, Canada's uh, gross debt in uh, current dollars is as high or higher than it's ever been. Uh, so, and among prime ministers who, who haven't had to deal with world wars or recessions, uh, our, uh, our current government has uh, accumulated the most debt per uh, overall and per person. That's really pretty surprising, considering that uh, we haven't been dealing with an economic slowdown across Canada. Yeah, exactly. Now, there may be people saying, okay, well, how would those numbers work? Because a bag of chips used to be a quarter, and now a bag of chips is a dollar, but you've used percentages in this, have you not? Well, that's right. And the the other thing you do is uh, you can adjust for inflation across uh, across centuries. And, uh, by the way, a bag of chips used to be 10 cents, sometimes five <laughs> for the small ones. That's true. That's true. Now, uh, is that something that, that you have had to do in this instance? Oh, absolutely. So uh, the uh, we all understand that uh, prices change over time, uh, especially over long periods of time, and uh, that uh, I mentioned the uh, the need to fight a war. If you if you look back into the conversations in uh, in the House of Commons in 1916-1917, when Canada was introducing an income tax act, the finance minister, finance minister of the day said, "We will do anything we can to raise enough money to to fight this war." Uh, uh, people understand that. People also understand that when uh, when times are not so good, 
when uh, there is a there is a recession, a global recession, uh, a national recession, or uh, let's let's look more poignantly in in the recent cases of Alberta and Newfoundland, where the price of oil has gone through the floor, your revenue has uh, is shrinks, uh, but the the things that you need to spend money on to uh, support the populace, uh, to support your voters and your residents, those things go up. So we all understand that uh, governments might run deficits or build up debt uh, when economic times are bad. What's uh, what's unusual about the past four years is uh, the pace, not just the pace of the build-up of debt and uh, by running deficits each year, it's the fact that it's happening at all, given that uh, we're not experiencing recession. Wow. Vin Poshman joining us from the Fraser Institute as we look at a legacy that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau could easily leave, and that is as someone who has accumulated more debt than any other prime minister, especially when we look at the fact that we aren't in a wartime or we're not experiencing an economic downturn at the moment. And that would put him into a a pretty exclusive category, would it not, for for even someone who has grown the debt in times like that? That's that's right. And uh, yeah, I, 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 I don't try to look at this uh, in, in a personal way or a political way. Uh, people who were concerned about spending were very concerned about how much the Harper government ran up spending in 2009, 10, 11. Uh, and uh, the, what you recognize, though, is, well, there was a recession. And uh, by the end of that government's uh, tenure or term, uh, they did have the books back to balance. So uh, the the current government, when uh, when Mr. Trudeau was uh, uh, running the campaign, they did say we're going to run ten billion dollar deficits for three years, and they were elected. Uh, that's uh, that's totally fair game. the uh, The concern is that uh, well, it's uh, turned out to be a lot more than that, and uh, there's no end in sight. And uh, this uh, raises concerns about just how fiscally responsible this approach is. Wow. If if we look at maybe other prime ministers who have increased federal debt without facing a, a downturn like you talk about or, or a global conflict, can we put a number as to how many there have been? Uh, two uh, in the 19th century. Two and both in the 19th century? That's correct. So very different times than now? Very different times. So what do you make of this then, Finn? Well, it's... Uh it's a matter of uh, thinking about what you want to do and why in, in setting fiscal policy and then sticking to your plans. Uh, for instance, if the, if the current government had, uh, had stuck to, their, uh, to the plans announced at the, at the time of the 2015 election, uh, the overall balance would look a lot prettier than it does. Uh, and uh, we can draw another example uh, in Ontario. Uh, if you look back to the 2015 budget from Ontario, there was a spending program laid out, and uh, it, it showed a path to balance. And uh, had they followed it, uh, Ontarians would be in a much better fiscal position than they are. And if you, if you compare the numbers of spending outlook, deficit debt outlook, that uh, that the new government, the Doug Ford's government, has just introduced, it looks a lot like that 2015 plan. The problem is that the former government didn't follow it. 
Yeah, you're right. I mean, they were elected. Here's what they were going to do. People thought, okay, but but it does depend on how you put this all into practice. Exactly. Well, Finn, we really appreciate your time and your information on this. We'll see if that does remain the lasting legacy of <laughs> current Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Have a great day. I, I'm betting it will. Good to talk to you. <laughs> Take care. Bye. So if you're looking at what that legacy will be, I mean, he, this puts it into perspective how rare something like this is. The two prime ministers who have increased federal debt without any kind of war or any kind of recession are Sir Mackenzie Bowell and Sir John Abbott. That's it. Quick, tell me one fact about either of those men. Uh, well, one of them, his last name begins with a B. That's all I've got? Sir Mackenzie Bowell and Sir John Abbott. I don't know a thing about either one. Am I missing out? You know, these, these were nondescript leaders. Sir Mackenzie Bowell and Sir John Abbott. And number three would be Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. And you can add up all of the things. And, you know, if you want to argue on the liberal side, all you have to do is look and, and we even heard Finn Poshman from the Fraser Institute highlight Alberta. You can look and say, well, you know, the bottom has fallen out of oil prices and our economy is heavily tied to that. So that puts you kind of running behind the eight ball right off the bat. Yeah, OK, but there are a lot of other things that have happened. You know, you've got governments that try and spend their way out of problems, and it'll be interesting to see how much spending the liberals try to do in order to sway favor back their way. Because if you saw the latest polls over the weekend, they are not winning. They are not in first place in the polls. And although we're not very close to an election, people seem to be reminding themselves of things that have gone on. Do you not find that? People are reminding themselves Jody Wilson-Raybould's name is not going to go away. Uh, some of the handling of that issue and some of the questions that still linger, none of that has gone away. And there are other things that may just continue to dog this liberal government all the way into the next federal election. But to throw this down, yeah, that's, uh, that's not something that you want. And then do we face what we're seeing in the province of Ontario, it is a, it's a fascinating time to watch. It's a scary time to watch, but it's a fascinating time to watch in the province of Ontario because, as Finn Poshman pointed out, if you look in Ontario, they're in a state like the country is nationally, where money's not that easy to come by right now, where we do have quite the deficit. We've got $11.7 billion to take care of in this province. We've got even more federally. So what do you do with that? Well, You've got to find ways to save money. And so anything that the Ontario government has their hand on in terms of, yeah, we run this, they're looking to do that. Maybe it's the right way out of it. I don't know. I mean, you can't judge that right now. I really do not believe you can judge that. We're going to have a lot of people unhappy. We're going to have a lot of unhappy teachers. We're going to have a, a lot of unhappy health professionals. We are going to have a lot of unhappy civil servants. That, that's already happening. A lot of them are unhappy now. Have you spoken with a teacher recently? If you haven't, you might want to try that because they're not very happy. So that's going to play itself out. But is this in the long run a good move? Don't know. This government seems to be dealing with the now and waiting to see what happens. It's fascinating to watch. At the same time, yeah, there's a lot of people who are 
uneasy about it, who are unnerved about it, and some who are even downright afraid of it. Next up, we'll talk about Leaf fans who right now are a little uneasy. They're a little unnerved, and some of them are downright afraid. The Leafs are going to play Boston in Game 7 tomorrow. I'll tell you next why the Maple Leafs do not even need to play a full 60 minutes to win that game. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Instagram isn't usually about words, but there are some interesting accounts that have come up. I don't think there's one for London, Ontario yet, but I wonder what it would be like. These accounts basically have pictures of words, and they are called overheard. So you've got overheard LA, you've got overheard Las Vegas, you've got overheard London, England. The other London has one of these. And essentially what it is is someone going around all of those cities and maybe eating lunch or eating dinner and eavesdropping on conversations. Maybe you're at a bus stop, you know, maybe you're in some public place and you're eavesdropping on conversations. And when you hear something that you deem halfway interesting, you post it. And so, for instance, Overheard LA has things like, oh, lighting for selfies is so much better on the 5 freeway than the 405. You have, uh, excuse me, can you move your tarot cards so I can put down the prosciutto board? And maybe one that would fit only in L.A. Uh, When is Passover? Oh, it's the second weekend of Coachella. So, you see, they're they're L.A. flavored. I wonder what London, Ontario's would sound like. Ugh, have you taken Wonderland? That place is a parking lot. Uh, That Blackfriars Bridge, can we cross it yet? I wonder what they would be like. If you have any ideas on what would be an overheard London, or if you can do some eavesdropping in the next week and email that, that'd be great. Mike at 980cfpl.ca. We should start an overheard London, Ontario. There's an overheard London, but I'll look up some overheard London things, and I bet you it won't it won't match at all. Have you been on the eye today? No, that's not going to fit here. Changing the guard? No, not here. Look, kids, Big Ben, Parliament? No. That's not it either. The Toronto Maple Leafs are in Boston right now. I don't know. There might be an overheard Boston. And if there was an overheard Boston, it would be, hey, look, we're doing this again to those Toronto Maple Leafs. It is game number seven. In 2013, the Leafs and Bruins went to a game seven. Bad things happened in the third period to the Toronto Maple Leafs, and they lost. Then they went to a game seven again. Bad things happened to the Toronto Maple Leafs in the third period, and they lost. Now, the Leafs are going to give all of the standard answers. We just have to play our game. We just have to play a full 60 minutes. I want to stop them right there. If you are a Leaf fan, here's what you need to know. Your team is who your team is right now. And this could be the start of something pretty incredible. If you go back to 1993, that's a long way to go back. Man, that's a long, the 90s, not even the 90s, the early 90s, if you go all the way back to 2003, or sorry, 1993, that was the last time a Canadian team won the Stanley Cup, and it was the Montreal Canadiens, and a lot of wild and crazy things started to happen that paved a road for the Montreal Canadiens. And the Canadiens 
came of age just that year. I think the Leafs have an opportunity to come of age and stay there for a little while. And we're just waiting for it. Right now, the Leafs are who they have been. They're a team that really turns it on for a collection of 10 to 15 minutes during the course of a game where they look like world beaters, where you just say, get out of this team's way. They don't have to play a full 60 minutes. Very few teams actually do. You have to have limited skill to need to play a full 60 minutes to win a game. It's just something teams will try and say. It's one of those cliches. If the Leafs could play 30 minutes of just all out, we're coming to get you, they would win tomorrow night, and they would probably have a really good shot at going on and winning the Stanley Cup. This is about finding a way to come of age to learn what it takes in order to do this, not for the entire game, just a little bit more. That's what they need to do. There were times in yesterday's game against Boston where you went, wow, whoa, this is happening. And then it didn't. Just a little bit more. And they will be a team that winds up in a really good position thanks to some of the crazy things that have happened already and could win a Stanley Cup. All right. Harold, how are you? Not too bad today, Mike. Yeah, I was sitting in a restaurant one night talking to my brother-in-law and sister, and I'm talking about this rapid transit. I says, well, I'd like to be sitting on my porch up in Oxford and Richmond when they come to dig up my front lawn. I'd be sitting there with my shotgun and say, Go ahead, stick the shovel in the ground, see if this shotgun's working. <laughs> and this alderman was there that wants this rapid transit. He's sitting there flashing his eyes at me like I, he, he, I was ready to rap, pull a rifle on him. <laughs> <laughs> Harold, that should be the very first post on Instagram that is overheard London, Ontario. Well, I thought it'd make a hell of a good joke. Anyway, you could get an artist to draw it. Harold, thank you for that. Okay, have a good day. <laughs> Go ahead, stick that shovel in the ground. I want to see if this shotgun works. We're going to take a break. Up next, we will have news, and then we're still going to talk about fumigating airplanes and a few other things. Is it happening at London International Airport? I don't think so, but it sure made a big news story last week. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Okay, we're getting some ideas on overheard London. I still love what Harold said. He's not going to do it, don't worry. He talked about BRT being on his front porch when they came to do some digging. Go ahead, put that shovel in the ground. I want to see if the shotgun works. I like it's a line in old country song. Uh, Jude says you'd hear, "Hey, did you hear Snoop Dogg is playing Rock the Park?" That would be an overheard in London. I checked out the other overheard London, and yeah, it's not our London because uh, here's one of the posts. The problem with being single in London is the overwhelming fear that I'll get stuck in a tube carriage with someone I've already been in a relationship with. See? Yeah, we, we don't have tube carriages here. So we need an overheard London, Ontario. There's an overheard London teens that has LDN. But again, that's, no, there's, there's a lot of mum, M-U-M, and then a response from a teen. And that one's not even funny. 
This came from Overheard LA, which is an Instagram account which eavesdrops on conversations and then just posts things. My favorite Overheard in LA, we were being the tacky tourists and we're walking Hollywood Boulevard, and my favorite line from our time in LA was hearing behind us, oh look honey, that's Britney Spears' star. That's who you're named after. That's perfect. That's perfect. I didn't even have to turn around. I already knew who that person was. 519-643-2222. I hate to tell you I was right. Bob, how are you on this fine Monday? Good, Mike. How about yourself? Not bad. Hey, I just overheard the the Bruins are going to win game seven. <laughs> Again. <laughs> no, you know what? Uh, yeah, I was actually after game five. I was just yesterday I was ready to, uh, or the, uh, game six, uh, I thought in my mind I was going to have to climb up on my roof and take down my Bruins flag. <laughs> After game five, I thought I'd say going back to Toronto this, this time, and they're not going to pull it off. Although they almost didn't. And, you know, looking at the numbers on how each team is actually putting an effort in, the Bruins played 28 minutes of hockey yesterday. That's it. Mm-hmm. The latter half of the first, the second, and then the third, uh, they just they just hung on. Uh, but it's to me, it's been like that with each team. You know, like I'm looking at... There's just not been this dominance by either team. Uh, it's inter- intermittent, like you say. Uh, you know, one team has a good period, the other doesn't. The next period, he just goes back and forth like that. So, but I think uh, for uh, tomorrow night, uh, I don't know. Like I'm not 100 percent saying the Bruins are going to win. It's because they haven't been that great, even the last five games of the regular season. I think it was a or five or six games that were horrible. I think they dumped uh, like probably eight percent of those games on the losing side, but uh, nevertheless, uh, somebody's got to be the hero, right? But Anderson, and here's here's my scouting report to Boston. Okay. I wish I could walk in the dressing room. Do not shoot the puck anywhere near Anderson's glove hand, okay? Don't do it. <laughs> like, just don't. Going to this guy's glove hand. That save he made yesterday on Patrice Bergeron, even though Bergeron didn't get as much on it as he probably wanted to, but that was incredible. It was. Uh, oh, Anderson to me, uh, besides Bingington, I think he's. I think oh, they're probably neck and neck in terms of uh, high performance goalies in the playoffs. Here, Anderson, he could steal that game tomorrow. Literally, he could steal that game. Um, Tugaras and playing not too bad, but he's letting some soft ones in like he usually does. You know, he's not the old Rask of uh, 2013 or something like that. So, uh, anyway, it's going to be a it's going to be a barn burner, I think. We'll see what happens. Brad Marchand has already said that the ice has been terrible in Boston. You might as well play with a tennis ball. So, we'll see yeah. if they're uh, they're making the ice better. Bob, you enjoy it. I know we'll talk uh, maybe even before it, but certainly after it. All right, Mikey. Take care. That is Bob, who is not afraid to admit in a land filled with blue and white blood that he is a Bruins fan and still has his flag flying on his roof. Uh, Speaking of hockey, we mentioned earlier that Ivan Prozvatov, who's the goalie of the Saginaw Spirit, baseball batted a puck into the crowd. You can't do that. You can't throw anything into the crowd. You can't flip anything into the crowd in the Ontario Hockey League. It's one thing that they are adamant about, we'll bring you a five-game suspension. Well, it brought the goaltender, starting goalie of the Saginaw Spirit, a five-game suspension. There's another suspension that has been handed out as well, and it affects a Londoner, Justin Murray, 
who is a defenseman for Saginaw. And really, when they made a trade and got Justin Murray, their season began to turn around. They can talk about all the guys they've added. This guy has leadership qualities like you wouldn't believe. Well, this guy also has a four-game suspension. He has been given a four-game suspension for a check to the head. So Saginaw, in one fell swoop, has lost a guy who is captain material, has been captain on other teams he's played on and is just a steadying force on the back end, and they've lost their number one goalie. We'll take a break. Up next, we'll talk flying and fumigating all at the same time. Is this something that is new? If you saw last week, did you happen to see or hear any news reports about fumigating airplanes? And a big deal was made about it by one family in particular. We're going to talk about whether or not that is a recent addition to your flight, whether it's only certain airlines, what the deal is with that. We'll also check in on how things are going at the London International Airport. Mike Seabrook, President and CEO, joins us next on London Live and Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Doing any traveling? Isn't Tuesday supposed to be the day to book stuff? Train, plane, I don't know about automobile. I think Tuesday's the day. Well, today's Monday, and it is mostly a holiday, although we're being warned against something. Drunk shopping. I hope that that doesn't come up today. It's Monday. You had a lot of days to party. But drunk shopping. People have had all kinds of horror stories come up because they drink and then shop online. Is there a way to prevent that? Is there a breathalyzer you can have at home where you have to swipe your card and then it can prevent you from getting online? We're going to need something like that. That's something we should invent. That's something the world needs right there. you got to protect people from themselves. Unfortunately, that's the truth. I'd like to say it wasn't. Unfortunately, we do ha- we have many examples of why it is we have to protect people from themselves. We need to have to swipe a breathalyzer, blow into a breathalyzer, then you swipe your card, and then you're able to use it online? Is that the way, you know, don't go online when you're drunk? A lot of bad things can happen if you were to do that. Not just shopping, I'm sure. Okay, let's talk about traveling. Traveling without any kind of intoxication. Um, Let's talk a little bit about fumigation instead, because there was a story last week that came out about a family that had been on a, a flight... And the flight was fumigated or aerosoled or something. Is this something that happens a lot? Is it something that happens only on certain flights? Well, there's a guy we can ask about this. Mike Seabrook, president and CEO of the London International Airport Authority. Mike, is this a new thing or has this been happening for a while? Uh, it's happened in airline travel for a while, Mike. It's, it, uh, they call it disinsection. So it's the removal of, uh, or the, the attempt to remove insects from aircraft. And there's, there's a, uh, a body of countries that, that really insists that it's done. And a lot of them are in Africa, Latin America, the Caribbean, places like that. And it's been going on for a while. Disinsection. It even has a new word. <laughs> it's uh, spraying aircraft for insects. That's, uh, that's the, uh, the meaning of the word disinsection. And as I mentioned, it, it seems to be a lot of the kind of, uh, 
you know, tropical, more moderate climate uh, countries that insist on this. Okay. And I mean, you can understand it. Anyone who's traveled a little bit knows that you can't cross the border eating a meat sandwich or bring fruits and vegetables along with you in your luggage. Those are going to be tossed out along with anything over 150 milliliters. Or is it 100 milliliters now? I always forget. Uh, so do I, for that matter. I believe it's 100. <laughs> yeah, I think it is. I think Let's go yeah. with 100 just, just to be safe. That'll get be us well under the safe. bar. Now, yes. if, if you're traveling to one of those countries, then this is something that happens. What if, what if you're coming from one of those countries? Can it happen there? Uh, no, not typically. Like Canada doesn't have a requirement for any uh, aircraft coming from a foreign country to do this. It, it, the requirement is from these other countries, and I'm just looking at the list now. It's countries like Aruba, Barbados, uh, Buenos Aires, uh, Chile, Colombia, Costa Rica, Honduras. So there's, there's a list of about, I believe there's 20-something uh, countries that do insist on it. Now, when you're looking at, at flights that go to those different countries, are, do we have really any that, that would come out of the London International Airport and, and might go that direction? Uh, absolutely, yep. So uh, certainly what we have uh, Jamaica and those ones, uh, that would happen uh, on those flights. Dominican Republic, so the ones going into Punta Cana uh, and uh, Puerto Plata out of here would. Um, and then Mexico as well, so all your destinations in Mexico are on that list. So we've got, this year we had nine charters down to the south, and virtually all of them would have it. Okay, we're talking with Mike Seabrook, President and CEO of the London International Airport Authority. Things are going to the airport right now? Uh, yeah, actually we've, uh, yeah, actually very good, Mike. We've had a lot of uh, real positive announcements in the last two or three months. Um, Swoop, which is a new ultra-low-cost carrier, is doing uh, direct non-stop service daily to Edmonton, Halifax, and, uh, and Abbotsford, which is a bedroom community of uh, Vancouver. Air Canada Rouge is, uh, is up their game and are doing daily Calgary. So we've got a busy summer plan. Uh, you know, we hope the airports really started uh, to get rolling here, and we're looking forward to it. Did you feel anything from the 737 issues that dealt with the crash not too long ago? Yeah, we did. We had Maxis coming through here with uh, with WestJet, and um, as WestJet has uh, has parked those aircraft for now, they've had to jig their schedule from uh, here and there, and we've had a few flights canceled, uh, but it's been minimal impact. It really, my understanding of it, a lot of the Max uh, changes they made were to markets that had a high frequency of flights, places like Toronto that may have. Uh, you know, eight or nine uh, flights a day between Calgary and, and Toronto or something like that. They'll use a bigger aircraft and, and pull back on, uh, cut one flight, but, but absorb it in, in bigger aircraft and get away with it that way. So it's been minimal, Mike. Well, Mike, keep up the great work. Thank you for talking about insectification with us. Disinsection. Oh, sorry. Yes, I guess it. Yeah, I got. I got to get that right. That's something that rolls off the tongue. You have to think about it, and look at it every time, Mike. And you want the dis in front of it, otherwise you're going to be flying with a whole lot of mosquitoes and gnats. Yes, absolutely. No one wants that. Mike, have a great day. You too. Thanks, Mike. Mike Seabrook, President and CEO of the London International Airport Authority. Disinsectification. We do a lot of things to try and help out our world, don't we? You realize today is Earth Day. It is Monday, April 22nd. It is Earth Day. I am going to tweet out an article from the Rolling Stone because I thought it was really well done. It's written by Jeff Goodell, and it's called What's Wrong with Earth Day? And it actually takes us back to the origins of Earth Day. You know what the origins are? When do you think Earth Day started? I don't know. 
Right around the time Reduce, Reuse, and Recycle came about, what, like early 90s? No, 1970. And it was brought on by a picture that had been snapped by the Apollo 8 mission. And you've probably seen it. It is one that's taken from the surface of the moon, and it's called Earthrise, where the Earth is kind of rising like we might see the sunrise in or on the Earth. And about 16 months after the photograph was taken, they started Earth Day. And it's, it's meant for us to look around. I love this one thing that Jeff has written in this Rolling Stone article. And again, I'll tweet the link to it. But here's what he wrote. And the Earth, truth, truth be told, is not a dependable source of hugs and forgiveness for us humans. Nor does nature itself hold us in high esteem just because we figured out a way to send photos of puppies across the planet instantaneously. As Brandon writes, life on Earth constitutes a remarkably thin glaze of interesting chemistry on an otherwise unremarkable cooling ball of stone hovering like a sand grain in an endless ocean of empty space. You've got to read the article in its entirety. When we look around at some of the things that maybe are going on today that we need to realize on Earth Day, um, you've got a lot of angry young people. Because they're going to point the finger of blame, because that finger of blame will come up. They're going to be here longer than us, and what have we been doing? I mean, we've been living like the 1950s. Remember the 1950s? I don't, but I've read about them. Everybody got back from the Second World War, and it was spend, and it was live it up, and it was this and that. We're kind of going through that time right now. The haircuts even have gone back to it. And things go in cycles, so that cycle will come to an end. But we're not doing enough, and government initiatives are not together enough. It's the lawn full of leaves. You can rake yours, but unless everybody else rakes theirs, the wind's going to blow their leaves onto your lawn. Uh, We do know more about plastic than we've known before, and maybe it's because a lot of whales keep washing up on shores, and their stomachs are full of plastic, and they're dead. So that's that's become a problem. And, oh, this big move to ban plastic drinking straws has kind of worked out. Yeah, but did you put your garbage into a plastic bag and take it out to the curb? Uh, yeah, sure did. Then you're still using a lot of plastic. So plastic has not gone anywhere, and it's not going anywhere anytime soon. Um, one thing that, that we do have to remember, and maybe this this does not get hammered home enough, It's that we live a pretty insignificant life and that life has come and gone on the earth quite often. And I think something that maybe needs to be put up in a headline is that we have seen vertebrate populations decline by about 60% on average since 1970. So typically we're talking about things like fish and birds and reptiles And, oh, mammals, we fall into that category. But we've got some disappearing. We're also seeing others appear. And this this has happened forever. So kids are going to be mad, plastic is bad, and things have come and gone. We're just lucky to be here right now. Whether we continue to be here, that's kind of up to all of us. And collectively, we don't get a lot done. If an alien race ever arrived, they would say, what have you guys been doing? Wandering around as bundles of emotion? Give me a break. You guys have accomplished so little. Well, we've accomplished all these things. (laughs) should see what we've done. 
we're on your planet. I don't know if that'll ever happen, but we'd have to look around and say, yeah, you know, we do waste a lot of time. This whole Instagram thing, that's a good time waster. Facebook, huh, you should see the hours it's taken. So, happy Earth Day. And I'll tweet out that link to the Rolling Stone article if you want some light reading for later today. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Happy Earth Day. Ted, we've got about 60 seconds, but they're all yours. Happy Earth Day. Well, I just want to point out one thing. We're so negative about people being on this earth. But in North, in North America, in the United States, the Pittman-Robinson Act, every time you purchase ammunition, fish and stuff, any outdoor clothing, rifles, shotguns, 6% of that purchase, that levy, since, since about 1950, has gone into wildlife conservation and the, and the maintaining wildlife habitat. And also, Ducks Unlimited has done a wonderful job in North America. It was born out of the Dust Bowl. So we got to stop beating ourselves up all the time. Ted, so, I appreciate the call. Earth Day should be every day. Our Earth Day should be every day. I like that. Earth Day should be every day. Ted, you have a great afternoon. We are about out of time on London Live. Happy Earth Day. I do like that. Earth Day should be every day. And we do have a lot of great programs. Maybe maybe it's time to start highlighting some of those programs on a regular basis. Let's aim to do that a little bit more on London Live. London Live is brought to you by courtesy Ford Lincoln at 684 Warncliffe Road South. Thanks to Matt McKinnis for his help today. Tomorrow, we are going to talk about something interesting as it pertains to more on flooding. That's all I can say right now. News is next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL.